this show the establishment warned you about. The Dr. Tommy Show, the most listened to concierge medicine morning show in the entire galaxy. I am your host, Dr. Tommy McRoy, America's free market doctor, and we are brought to you by Atlas ND, which is the most uh, most sought after EMR for concierge medicine and direct primary pra- care practices across the United States because it is so useful. And if you want to learn how useful it is, go to AskDrTommy.com, click on special offer for Atlas ND, and then you will be able to use it for free for 60 days. And as always, Tracy is here with me. Good morning. Good morning. Are we um, streaming? Is that Yes, we're streaming. That is a lag because of our, uh, just the way it is. It's a lag. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, you know what? Why don't I do this? Just curious. I'm going to make sure that uh, we are streaming we're going to do live. a show, do an entire show. Which and we've done it's not, before. <laughs> it's not up. We are streaming live on YouTube, but we're also on demand on SoundCloud and iTunes and every other MP3 type uh, podcast listening thing you can think of. Uh, we have a, a few things to cover today. And one of the things I wanted to cover was a um, movie review. And uh, this is a movie review. Whoop, see? That's the lag. That's the lag. Boom. You, that's muted. Anyway, so the movie review we're going to do is called A Quiet Place. And this is a new movie. And if you look on the internet, A Quiet Place is, is what we call it, universal acclaim. Yes, great reviews. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 95%. Ooh. Audience scores 85%. Uh, IMDb. IMDb has a... Eight out of like 10 or something. Mm-hmm. And so this is uh, called A Quiet Place. This is from 2018. And it is a movie that is about a killer, which is a extraterrestrial type being. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> so this is this movie apparently takes place at the present time and it actually is, it was two thousand and twenty. Oh, is it two thousand twenty? I didn't I, see that. Well I noticed that because um on the little boys um handmade gravesite uh-huh. it said two thousand sixteen to two thousand twenty. Okay. So two thousand twenty and the I, I printed out something but I don't have it. It was the director and whoever was starring in it, and I'm sorry I don't have that. But anyway, it's a new movie called A Quiet Place, and it is uh, about a family that is taking place in the future, mm-hmm. slightly in the future, and there's this extraterrestrial being which is out there trying to uh, kill anything that makes a sound. Yes, it's blind apparently, but it um, has great hearing. And we don't want to give away too much of it, but it is a long movie, mm-hmm. and it is a quiet movie, and we thought it was what? Boring, average. slow, very average movie. It was uh, below average. Below average. Well, unfortunately for you and I, this is not in agreement with uh, a lot of the uh, so-called experts who say that it is a great movie. Uh, this is from Peter Rainier from the Christian Science Monitor. He says it's an A minus. He says at a brisk ninety minutes, it's one of the most inventive and beautifully crafted and acted horror movies I've seen in a very long time. And I think the main reason for it is its power is the family crisis at its core. You know, I felt like the entire movie was supposed to be around the fact that um, the daughter was unsure if the father loved her. 
Because that was kind of like do you know, when right before he yells, yeah, and he's sign languaging to her that he yes. loves her, always has. That I think was the, I think but I think that pulled people. I think that's what pulled people in and was like, oh, this is. Did you ever feel like he didn't love her though? No, I didn't. I never felt like he didn't love her. So that's one of the things when you're storytelling, it should be implied. You shouldn't have to make that. So I know that the girl apparently felt like her father didn't love her because. I think the the brother said that, mm-hmm. and maybe she asked that, or yeah. So know. the brother thought that maybe you know the, it was never the, implied. The while well, the brothers you know thought well you know you should probably tell her that you love her and let her know how she feels because he knew that the, how the daughter his sister felt, and I think that was really what what I guess the main focus was in the yes. movie. Really, I mean that's one of the main focuses, but it was um, it reminded me of. Um, What's the one we seen with John Goodman? Oh, that was called a oh, shoot. What was that? Anyway, I know what you're talking about. Yes, but it was the same kind of monster-like type thing. That movie was better. That was better. That one had a great twist on it. Had it had a twist. This movie had no twist. But I think it was about three characters in that movie too, with John yeah. Goodman. And then this movie had about what six characters, mm-hmm. and um, it was just very slow. From a uh, thinking Jan- us, we were in comfortable seats so we could relax, but. Um, yeah, it was. This is from Real Views. James Berardini, I think his name is. A quiet place is a superb exercise, an understated terror that puts to shame horror films that rely on jump scares and cheap theatrics. Actually, I thought it was basically what this movie did. There was a couple jump scares and cheap theatrics. Yeah, there were a couple times that we jumped. You know, it was a little scary. Yeah, but um, overall, it was it was not. It was just below average. It wasn't very good. Sam Adams from Slate. There are moments when the movie takes us firmly by the hand and escorts us down a darkened path, and they lead to one of the most profound of communal pleasures, the sound of a movie audience screaming as one. Yeah, whatever. It's a quiet place. It's in the movie theaters now. And if you are the producer of A Quiet Place, you did a great job because the movie cost about $17 million to produce and is currently raked in over $200 million. So if you look at movies, uh, a rough estimate of whether a movie is a success or not is whether it doesn't lose money. And if you double the budget of a movie, approximately that's what the break-even point is. So $34 million was their break-even point it's about. It's been number one for the last three weeks. And it's made $200 million, So that, good the job. The thing is, yes, the thing is, though, I think people go to see it because they're like, oh, great, you know, a horror movie. And it's hard to find a good, scary movie. Yeah. So, yes, we like us, we were like, oh, well, let's go see this scary movie. And then you go... Um, but the, but these people, these professional movie reviewers, they gave it great reviews. What it's, a, it's weird to me though when you have a movie that comes out and there's this universal acclaim for it. It almost seems artificial. Mm-hmm. The last movie I remember about it, and it was a funny movie, but you could hardly find a negative commentary about it. Was um, the Hangover, the original Hangover mm-hmm. movie? Everyone said, "Oh my God, it's the funniest movie of all times." And it was funny. It was funny, but. You had universal acclaim for The Hangover. Mm. So it's, it's strange when you see these movies that have universal acclaim. You wonder if there's not some hidden agenda. Mm. Not to be a well, conspiracy theorist or anything, but you know that places like um, Google and Facebook, as we know, they adjust their algorithms to mm-hmm. basically dictate, kind of like the news does, whatever the narrative is. Mm-hmm. You, know, you also wonder, is there a narrative... Is there a quiet place? Someone who's invested in the quiet place? Who I don't know. You know, the movie's already. I guess it's not in theaters anymore. The one that Clint Eastwood directed, the the Men on the Train. The- yes, and that had universal 
bad uh, reviews universally panned. Yeah. So we should, anything that has bad reviews, we should go watch. Oftentimes though, you'll see that, especially on Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see a movie that has audience scores high, critic scores low. And that's one of the movies you'll know that's usually probably a good movie. I want to see that movie still. There's a lot of movie reviewers who have political motivations too. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a if it's a movie about anything that can be construed as conservatism, or or Christianity or any type of religiosity, uh, the movie critic establishment for the most part will pan that movie yeah. because of their because they can't get beyond their political mm-hmm. bent. So they see something that's challenging their political beliefs, mm-hmm. and they can't get beyond their anti belief mm-hmm. in whatever conservatism or religiosity mm-hmm. or whatever. And they will pay in it based what, on that alone. What were we going to see originally? The Apostle? Uh, Paul? Paul the Apostle. Yeah, we probably should have seen that. Well, oh, well. We'll see it next time. Two for Tuesdays, AT&T. If you have AT&T mm-hmm. wireless, you can get two movies for the price of one, which in this case was the only way I would have saw this movie. Yes. In retrospect, knowing that I could have seen it two for one. Bogo. Yes. And you know, for those of you who don't know, we didn't know this. We were discussing it yesterday. Wouldn't it be great if you had a membership and like could a go, concierge mood, medicine movies. Yes. So we were discussing this yesterday. And then last night I'm talking with Madison and she says her friend, um, Madison, her, her friend's name is uh, Madison. And she said, oh yeah, well I had the movie pass. And Madison mm-hmm. said that all our friends knew about it except for her. And it's the movie pass so she can go to the movies every day and see a movie. And it's like $10 a month. Yeah. It's it's pretty cool, and I, we were thinking, what what would you charge for that? And I guess ten dollars is what they figured. I was thinking twenty. Yeah, I thought twenty. But anyway, Madison wasn't sure if there were blackout dates or if there was a certain time that you had. She didn't know all the details. Was yeah. there a certain time of day or <laughs> evening that you had to see a movie? So she doesn't know all the details, but she knows that her, that her friends pay ten dollars a month to see unlimited movies, and I believe this is at AMC. I think it's a great idea because the the way you make money off of movies. Is the same way you make money off theme parks is you have yeah. people that pay for admission and that's like a base income. But the real way you, real way you make money is when they come in and spend money on popcorn or if it's a theme park, the uh, you know merchandise. Yes. And so this is a way to get people in there, give them a reason to go to the movies, mm-hmm. and get what you would what would be the high margin price. Mm-hmm. It'd be yeah. like if, if you ran a concierge medicine practice and the reason we got people in the door for concierge medicine was to sell them something more expensive, which we don't do, but right. the same thing applies. Right. Because a thing of popcorn costs as much or more than the admission to, yeah. a, to see a movie. Yeah. We kind of do the opposite where your base membership is, it, it concludes everything. Mm-hmm. So there's no markup actually on most things. Right. A little bit on the vitamins. Yeah, a little bit on the vitamins, a little bit on the fitness equipment. Yeah, but nothing on the labs. Nothing on the labs, and nothing on compounded drugs. Yeah, so interesting. Anyway, next one, and this is so that's a quiet place, and there it is. There's the uh, poster there, and Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. I think that may have been the director too. Who? John Krasinski. I think he may have been the director. Wait a second. He played in. Um, he played in. Was it The Office? I think so. Yeah, he looks familiar. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think he is the director. I think I read that, and I also think that it's it's like that other movie we just watched, where the guy who was one of the uh, actors was a director. That movie, uh, The Gift. Yes. The Gift was better than this. I like The Gift, but I am a huge Jason Bateman fan. I'd probably watch a bad movie of his. Even though I don't, I don't believe he's ever been in a bad movie. Uh, we were supposed to cover that 
other thing. We'll cover that next week. What other thing? Transplant. Transplant. I just thought of that. The, the oh, soldier. yeah. We'll cover that next week. Yeah. There's a soldier who was a recipient of a, a full abdominal wall, not full abdominal, abdominal wall, penis, and scrotal transplant, the first of its kind, apparently. Yes. So we're going to cover that, but I forgot to print it out. So next we'll go on to this. If you've been following this, this is heartbreaking. This is about a child in the United Kingdom named Alfie Evans. And this is from BBC.com. This is Alfie Evans' parents to appeal against Italian travel ban ruling. The parents of seriously ill toddler Alfie Evans will challenge a high court ruling preventing them from taking him to Italy for further treatment. The family's lawyers told the BBC that a hearing has been scheduled at the Court of Appeals on Wednesday afternoon. That's today. The 23-year-old month's life support was withdrawn on Monday after the court ruled Liverpool's Alder Hay Children's Hospital could end his care. Tom Evans and Kate James want to move their son to a hospital in Rome. Um, on Tuesday, a high court ruled that the family could not take him abroad for further treatment, but may he, he may be allowed to stay home. Mr. Justice Hayden said, this represents the final chapter in the case of this extraordinary little boy. During the hearing at the Manchester Civil Justice Center, he said that the best Alfie's parents could hope for was to, quote, explore the options of removing him from intensive care, either to a ward, a hospice, or his home. The case was back in court following an application by Christian Legal Center, which is representing the parents to apply for Alfie to be moved to a hospital in Rome. You believe this? I, you know, I was following this story, um, this story a while ago, and then I stopped. But I was thinking, did they originally want to bring him to the United States for treatment? And then that he may have been the boy from last year. There was already a kid that died last year. Okay, that was uh, Charlie Gard. Okay, this is a different kid in the same country that was oh. prohibited from doing what they wanted to do. Okay, I think that was Charlie Gard last year. Who's who's dead? I didn't know that. I, you know, I cannot. It's just too. It's sad for me to read stories. Obviously, it's sad to everyone, but um, I just cannot follow stories like that. I can read them, but I don't really want to follow them. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Listen to this. So, uh, Alder Hay is the name of the hospital. So, it says, Alder Hay and the parents needed to discuss the next steps for Alfie. So, here it is, a hospital now. They're deciding what's best. And the parents. A doctor who cannot be named for legal reasons said for Alfie to be allowed home would require a, quote, sea change in the attitude of the child's family. He told the court they feared that in the quote worst case they would try to take Alfie abroad. This is the this is the hospital talking on behalf of the government, which runs and the, and the justice system, which which is the government in the UK, which runs their health system. The doctor said the toddler's continued life was a quote shaft of light and a quote special opportunity for his parents to spend with him. Not a time for more legal maneuvers. The judge rejected claims that Alfie's health has improved and he is breathing on his own and said the sad truth that he is not. Well, he actually was. See, I thought you told me that they took him. He was removed him. from life support. They expected him to die. They were going to give him benzodiazepines when he, stopped, when he started choking. Mm-hmm. He's, been, he's been breathing on his own now for many days. Right. And they, now they intubated him since then, right? I can't remember. It's hard to follow this because if you look at the uh, the reporting of this, it's very poor. Uh, th- there's a lot of reporting on uh, – there's not a lot of reporting on details. A lot of what you see in news today, and this is no different, is that they report on narratives. So they want to form your opinion. They want to say, a dog was hit by the car, mm-hmm. okay? 
And instead of reading, the dog was hit by a car, the car looked like this, it was traveling at this speed, they say, a dog was hit by the car because the parents of the dog let it out. Mm -hmm. And because of this, so they want to form the narrative. Mm -hmm. They get ahead of themselves. They put the cart before the horse. So it's hard to find actual details on it, but I don't know if they reintubated them. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a sad thing. But the, the real, the real take-home point for this is why in the world is the government telling these parents what they can do? Is it because of the only thing, and I could not find this either, is what was their reasoning? And mm-hmm. I guess they're saying that the welfare of the child, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the only thing I can say, is they think the parents should not be allowed to because of the child, although the child is going to die. Mm-hmm. So what makes sense? Sad, you allow the child to die. Okay. Let's say it is. Let's say there is no hope for this child. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say the child can't live for whatever reason. You take it off life support. Um, the child will die, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, what's the difference between taking them off life support and getting on a plane and going to Rome? Right. What's going to happen? Right. The child may die. Mm-hmm. So, what the hell's the difference? You know what the difference is? What? They would have to admit the UK government that there is an option outside of their system mm-hmm. that you have free will to explore. Instead, they want to continue this belief that they are the be-all to end-all. They are a mother, father, mm-hmm. judge, jury, and executioner mm-hmm. when it comes time to your health in the UK, which has this glorious thing called the NHS, where you don't have to pay a dime. Everybody gets equal treatment, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And at the end of the day, they are the ones who tell you what the hell you can do and can't do with your own children. Yeah. Isn't that sick? It, it is sick. Very sad. It's me sick. Uh. Anyway, back to America, there's a new thing in the, this is Medicare. This is something from, I saw this AAPS, our friends at the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. They had this post. Uh, Apparently, CMS now is a new nomenclature. They're offering DPC. CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. They're offering direct primary care. No, 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 no. It's DPC. At CMS, DPC apparently no longer stands for direct primary care or direct patient care, but rather through, but rather quote, direct provider contracting through which CMS would directly contract with Medicare providers. This is from CMS. Uh, CMS understands there may be physicians uh, looking for additional options to participate in alternative payment model with a desire to transform their practice and engage with patients in a way which current initiatives have not been previously offered. CMS is considering a set of potential model tests designed to reduce expenditures while preserving or enhancing the quality of care under the general category of direct provider contracting, DPC, through which CMS would directly contract with Medicare providers and suppliers such as physician group practices, blah, blah, blah. So they're calling their DPC, they're hijacking the term DPC for their own benefit to say, DPC means we thought of it and this is a great idea we have now where we're going to do direct, what is it, direct provider contracting. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is something that's kind of like uh, with so 1984 where you have newspeak where words become things that they didn't mean mm-hmm. and so direct provider contracting is something that CMS now is going to do and it doesn't really say what it is going to be but I think it's where you are going to be able to do something that's different than the current Medicare model but they're going to call it DPC mm-hmm. so it's going to do a couple things one they're going to hijack the term DPC. And then two, if it is, let's say it's a failure. People say, I don't want anything to do with DPC. DPC mm-hmm. was garbage. So they've, they've taken, they've, 
they've accomplished two things. They've taken the term DPC because the government has the power that independent practice don't have to market things. You know, you could DPC ad nauseum. You, you, you apply it to your, your carriers of Medicare, and then suddenly DPC is across every board. So how is this going to work? I don't know. I didn't really look at it too much. A DPC model would differ from existing primary care models by placing greater emphasis on the central role of, central role of the beneficiary in selecting primary care. What it sounds like to me is that they're going to say, look, you are a primary, you're a Medicare patient. Okay. You're a Medicare beneficiary, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can go out and choose your quote unquote DPC doctor, which is a direct provider contracting doctor, not mm-hmm. a direct primary care doctor, a direct, mm-hmm. direct patient care doctor, but a direct pri- provider contracting doctor. Mm-hmm. And then we will pay them and then they can report all these metrics to us. So they're basically saying, well, what's look. the difference than what they already do? Because then they're not going to, you're not going to have to do this, the old fashioned nine, nine, two, one, four. Instead, it's going to be a capitated model like DPC is, mm-hmm. except you're not running it as the doctor. The government's running it. Mm. So they're giving you the money. So we would contract with Medicare, say, for instance. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of your new uh, direct provider contracting model. Okay, good. Here's 100 patients. Mm-hmm. And we're going to send you uh, 35 or 40 or $50 a month. And now they got direct primary care from you. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget to report all the things that... Um, that's what my idea is. I don't know. Yeah. It might be wrong. If anybody knows, let us know. But I haven't looked that far into it. But that's my get. That's my guess is what it is. Is that they're going to say, "Look, we're going to do direct primary care." Interesting, huh? Yeah. I saw this thing on a. It was um, talking about Apple and about how Apple took things that were uh, normal, uh, things that were known to people, such as the MP3 player. Mm-hmm. They said Apple doesn't invent anything. What they do is they take something that's already out there mm-hmm. and they make it into something that is slick, more useful, and then they mass market it more successfully than anybody else ever did. Okay. I think so that's, who came out with MP3 originally? Oh, uh, probably like Sony or somebody. The MP3 player. Mm-hmm. There used to be something called a Zoom. There was all kinds of these little MP3 players. Mm-hmm. They looked, they were ugly looking. And then Apple, what they did was they said, look, this is a great model. Mm-hmm. This thing, it works cool. You're going to have digital music. I got an idea. Why don't we make this music a repository? We'll call it iTunes. We'll get directly from the producers of the music. Then we'll put it on this slicker looking model that doesn't look like these MP3 players, which are goofy looking. We'll put it on this little cool thing we'll call it an iPod. And then we're going to pretend like we invented this thing, really. That's the same thing they did with Mac. Mac mm-hmm. operating system, if you if you look at that movie that was about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs when they were young, uh, took the the, mar- the operating system largely from Xerox. Xerox had it, and then okay. they took it. But what they were able to do is take something that is already out there, repackage it, uh, slick it up, and then mass market it. Mm-hmm. Back to what I was saying is, I think that's what DPC is waiting for. And we're not going to ever do it because we're not DPC. Mm-hmm. We're concierge medicine, similar, but not the same. Mm-hmm. DPC's uh, higher volume, lower cost, mm-hmm. maybe or maybe not have the same amount of features we have. Either way, DPC is going to find maybe somebody who can package DPC and all of its different things, what it is, uh, monthly fees, um, couple it with high uh, catastrophic insurance, and then they're going to be able to sell it mass market. Mm, maybe. Maybe. 
Maybe not. I don't know if concierge medicine will ever be that way. I don't have any concierge medicine group that's done that successfully. MDVIP does with concierge medicine with insurance. Oh, they do bill insurance? Yeah. MDVIP doctors are insurance doctors. You pay a membership there and they also bill insurance. Yeah. That's the concierge medicine with insurance model. Okay. The concierge medicine that we do, concierge medicine model, there is nobody who's done, uh, as far as I know, successfully. A lot of people do concierge medicine with insurance, which we would never do. No. Um, one other thing is before we go, I want to just say congratulations to Madison Hoyle, who has achieved something extraordinary and has the uh, local media here calling her and asking her for yeah interviews. So tell them what happened. So Madison is part of the Cambridge program. It was a pilot program um, here in the state of Florida. It's an international program. And it came to Pasco High School when Madison was an oncoming freshman. And it was a little scary, you know, letting her go into it because we didn't know much about it. But I thought, why not? Why not let her try this program? Anyway, it's like it's similar to AP courses, but it's called Cambridge and it's called uh, ACE program. And I can't remember what ACE stands for. And on all these four years, I still can't remember. Anyway, um, she, at the end of each class, you know, she has to take an exam, just like, you know, a child, a student would with AP classes. So um, last um, summer, she took psychology, um, ACE psychology, and she scored the highest grade in the United States. In the whole country. Which is pretty amazing. So she got a reward, an award last week. Yes, At the uh, ceremony. Yes, I did not know that I thought that we were going to a ceremony that was going to be for all the Cambridge students, which is about 100 at Pasco High School. Mm-hmm. And um, it was actually really to, it was really for Madison and also because Pasco County was voted number one in the, in the district for which was medium a medium-sized middle, school. Medium-sized school, so double award. And there were other students there who also received awards for yes. excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was pretty amazing when we thought about it. No. I remember when you first told me, I was like, well, that's, huh, that sounds, are we sure that's true? Is that right? Right. Because Madison is, you know, she's pretty much over school now. So she does not go to any of the award ceremonies at school anymore where they call you up for honor roll, mm-hmm. AB honor roll, perfect attendance. You know, she's done over that. So we didn't go, of course. She didn't want to go, even though I was like, this is your last one. Let's go. And she's like, no, mom. Well, people were texting her after this award ceremony saying, hey, they said that you got this award, that you scored the highest. And Madison said, are you sure it was me? (laughs) Are you sure they're talking about me? And they're like, yes, yes. And then I said, you should probably go ask Miss um, Del Valley about this. And then sure enough, she's like, yes, mom, I scored the highest in the United States. That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. So I talked to the ACE, they had the regional director there, and I asked him, so how many how many people did she, you know, compete against to win this? And she, he said, about three thousand students probably took that test. Mm-hmm. And then of those, she was the highest. And then he said, if she scored the highest on that test, that means that she was probably two or three points from the highest in the world. I know it's it's or pretty who amazing. Got the highest in the world. I don't know. I would love to know someone in London. I, would, I mean, the, the big, the they have a large program in yeah, London. So it's Cambridge University is a sponsor. Yes, and um, so uh, the woman came over from London, and there was people here from New York, and um, it was it was pretty. I mean, it was a pretty amazing night. I think I cried through the whole thing. I was so teary eyed because I just could not believe. 
That was Madison. Yeah. Congratulations. Job well done. Well, that's all for this week. The song of the week this week, which I'm going to try again because last week it crashed, is Eagles Fly from Sammy Hagar, his solo album called... We'll try it again. <laughs> we'll try it again. Uh, I Never Said Goodbye, which is a solo album that they did after he was the newly anointed lead singer of Van Halen in 1987. Uh, he did this album called I Never Said Goodbye. In 1986, they did 5150 with Van Halen, which went to number one. And they had a deal. He had a deal with Geffen Records where he had to do one more album. So he went in the studio with Eddie Van Halen on bass and himself and some others, usual band. And they cut this record in 10 days. And it's called uh, I Never Said Goodbye, but it's Sammy Hagar's last solo album prior to uh, his eventual breakup with Van Halen. But And this is called When Eagles Fly. And it's Sammy Hagar talking about what he imagines it's like for a child to be born and until next time join us on youtube and itunes bye bye